This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by the worker owners of Come As You Are. Come As You Are has the peculiar distinction of being the world's only worker-owned cooperative sex shop. With feminist and anti-capitalist values, Come As You Are only carries sexuality products that they truly believe in at the lowest price possible. Get free shipping at www.comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Cripple Content Creations presents Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability, with your host, Andrew Gerza. Disability After Dark with Andrew Gerza, shining a bright light on sex and disability. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Hey there, listeners. This is episode 107 of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability. I hope you're cozy, crippled, and comfy, and you're ready for this brand new episode. Alright, Disability After Dark listeners, for this episode, it came about really cool, this episode actually, I was emailed by today's guest's publicist, or their marketing team, for the, and I've never been emailed by a marketing team for a guest ever before, so I was kind of excited by that, I was like, ooh, and so they sent me an email saying, this person listens to your show, they love your show, and they want to be a guest, would you have them on? And I took a minute being like, wow, somebody actually had their people email me? That's awesome. That's just cool. So anybody with a publicist who wants to come on and talk about sex and disability, have your publicist get a hold of me and we'll have you on the show for sure. But thanks to that email, I was introduced to the awesome work of relationship and wellness coach Kat Nance. And we had a really cool conversation about their experience being a disabled woman with Charcot-Marie-Tooth disease, which is basically a neuropathy of different parts of the body and muscle degeneration and things like that. So we talk a little bit about their diagnosis. We also talk about how kink and BDSM helped them regain their sense of control over sexuality. We talk about parenthood and sexuality. We have a really interesting conversation about how When they become a wheelchair user, it will change their awesomeness as a parent. We talk about my desire to become a dad, which I've never really talked about too much on this show. So that was a really fun conversation. Um, And I was really pleased to introduce, to be introduced to Kat Nance on the show and talk about their experience of disability and wellness and disability and grief and all these things came to light. So... I want to share that interview with you, and I, I really enjoyed it. So enjoy my interview with Kat Nance right here on Disability After Dark. Just one quick note before we get to Kat Nance. I want to do more Minnesotes for the show. I want to um, I want to have more Minnesotes, but I haven't put any up because I didn't get a lot of emails. I haven't gotten, been getting a lot of emails about that recently. So... If you're listening and you have a story, a question, an anecdote, uh, a funny 
revelation around sexuality and disability and you want to send that to me in an email and you want me to hear you want to hear that read back to you in hilarious fashion with advice attached to it or another story attached to it or something funny attached to it and you want to hear your story read back to you email me at disabilityafterdark at gmail.com also if you're a person without a disability and you have questions and you want to you want to send in your question about sexuality and disability do that and we'll turn that into a Minnesota and I will put it in to the week that I get a bunch to that email box and we'll go from there. I'm not going to schedule them anymore because we weren't getting a lot, but I still want to do them. So send them in to me. But now on to the interview with Kat Nance right here on Disability After Dark. Kat Nance, hello. Hi, Andrew. It's <laughs> it's so funny because <laughs> listeners, ten minutes before we started this second recording, the audio dropped as Kat was telling us something amazing about her life, and and now we have to start all over again. So <laughs> I'm, I'm giggling because she was trying to say hi like we never talked. We just we literally I, did this whole part ten minutes ago. So yeah. hi, Kat. Thanks for thanks for slogging through <laughs> shitty audio moments with me. Thanks. Um, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show one more time. Um, Thanks, Andrew. It's, I'm excited you're here because the way you were introduced to me was not actually through you at all. It was through your friend slash publicist who was like, yeah. hey, Kat listens to your show and they want to come on. Okay. In the history of the show, I, that has never ever happened in the history of this show's been on for two years usually it's me slogging away being like oh my god i love your work would you come on my show and talk for an hour please please this is the first time in two years where i've gotten an email that was literally like i love your show can i please come on i like <laughs> gushed with joy when i got that email because it never it never happens so <laughs> thank you for that um yeah so I know I know a little bit about you because I read your stuff, which is, and I, I went on your website and saw what you do. So I know a little bit about you, but, but before that email, I didn't know anything about you. So could you please, Kat and Nance, introduce yourself to the Disability After Dark audience? Yes, thank you. Um, so I am a sexual wellness and relationship coach out of Guelph, Ontario. That's not too far from Andrew. Um, and the work that I do is I primarily do one-on-one -on -one coaching and I run um, workshop series that are usually about five weeks or full, full weekends. Um, and I generally do longer workshops because I really love to go deep into the work. So a lot of what I do is around supporting people and deepening their relationships to themselves and and being able to critically examine the way that dominant culture has impacted our sexuality and how we show up in our lives. And to start to look at that and start to choose something different that feels like it's theirs. Uh, so a lot of what I do is about teaching people to come home to themselves and um, choose themselves. And, you know, how a lot of the time when we're having sex, it's, you know, we're looking for intimacy and we're looking for connection and we're looking for pleasure and we go over to be with other people to find that and we're not often coming to ourselves to, to find that. So I really want to support people in getting that they're their sexual base and um, if they can get that about themselves then they can live a more erotically charged life which is our creative energy so that's really great. Um, yeah I think yeah I think that's 
a good cap of what I do. <laughs> awesome. That's that's a nice broad overview of like some really deep stuff you do there. Um, and what I like about what you said there is like, like so much. We it's funny that we talk. You said coming home, and my brain went to of course the dirty place. So, and I just thought about like we so often come with other people when we're or come to orgasm with other people when we're having sex, but we very rarely like come to an, to a place of comfort with ourselves when we're doing that. So there was there was some weird entendre there that I was trying to connect, which didn't work, but yeah. it's in my brain right now. Um, uh, so you do all this stuff, and uh, but in a lot of your work, what I noticed is that, that I didn't, when I was reviewing who you were and getting, getting a sense of how we were going to structure the interview today, I didn't see a lot of your disability in in on your website, and I'd love to hear more about that because I know when we talked a minute ago off the air, you confirmed you are a disabled person, and so I'd love for you if you feel comfy and safe to share that with the audience. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so I have Charcot-Marie Tooth Disease, and um, a lot of people who have CMT will generally just say they have muscular dystrophy, although they are different. Um, so CMT is a peripheral nerve d disease. So it, it attacks like my peripheral nervous system, which is your arms and your legs. Um, and the type that I have has it, like it impacted the way that my bones grew. So I had really arched toe, ar curled toes and arched ankles and my legs are really tiny. And sounds a lot um, like CP. Sounds a lot like yeah. that. Yeah, a lot like yeah. CP. Yeah, a lot of muscle weakening, uh, muscle fatigue, um, just being tired a lot, and everything's a lot of <laughs> a lot of more work. Um, so when I was I was diagnosed when I was four, and um, when I was ten, my mom decided and my doctor decided that I need to have surgery for to correct my my feet and my legs. So I had um, several surgeries on my feet and some on my leg to lengthen the leg. And so I, I ended up having seven surgeries that you did. The lengthening one. Oh, did you have the Lizeroff one? I don't think so. I had like the I had like the hip tethering one. Not not the I had the hip reconstruction one when I was a teenager. But then I had like the tendon lengthening one. Oh wow! Yeah. Yeah. That's another thing too is the tendons, right? And like that's a big part of CMT, and it probably is for you too. Is that the tendons are always like shortening, and so really short, like, yeah, super yeah. short all the time. Yep, yep. So it's just like everything just feels like it's atrophied <laughs> all the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So when I was ten until I was sixteen, I had seventeen surgeries, and at some point, I just decided that I didn't want any any longer. Once I got to an age to be able to decide for myself, which felt really empowering. Um, and I mean, as somebody as yourself, you probably get, you know, the medical industry, the amount, the lack of consent is, yeah, I mean, that's a whole conversation. That's, just, that's a whole, I mean, that's a whole, there's yeah. a whole podcast series about, yeah. <laughs> about med yeah. medicine and consent, like, <laughs> yeah. totally, totally, yeah. I learned what consent was not in, um, my in being in the hospital and so yeah so I spent a lot of my childhood in a wheelchair and on crutches and and now I walk without mobility aids although I do need them but I I sort of just uh <laughs> suffer instead oh no <laughs> I mean I mean just speaking of like ableism and my own internalized ableism a little bit when I you sent me a video of what you do to just to get a, a, a sense of what you do for this so we could build this episode together. And I watched the video and I spent like a good 
five minutes watching, and I was like, I was looking, I, was, I kept, because it's shot from your neck up, so I was looking for, like, mobility aid cues, yeah. and I was like, I don't see a wheelchair, I'm not seeing crutches, like, I don't see anything, to, and I was like, and so I was so confused, I was like, is this person disabled? And then I was like, no, Andrew, don't, you can't, it doesn't matter if you can see it or not. <laughs> so I had to, like, take a good two minutes and, like, retrain myself to be like, no, they could be disabled, they could totally be invisible, and that's fine too. So, so I understand totally what you're saying, how, like, you've spent so much time trying to figure all that out. Um, yeah. Um, I don't know where I was segueing into, but... I'm going to segue into a question that I have for you. And so, so this CMT disability that you, you live with, how does that impact or how has that impacted your, your sexuality? Yeah, that's actually a really, um, I think it's a really complex question for me because I, I think about what really got me into the work that I do. And a lot of that had to do with the time that I spent as a child being sick and being in a lot of pain. And it was something that really... I really like at a young age got that, you know, I, this can't be it. I can't be spending the rest of my life just in pain. Like, is this really what the rest of my life is going to be like? Like, what is, if I, you know, if I can experience this much pain, what are the possibilities of pleasure? And so. Wow. You were thinking about that when you were a kid. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 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 A teenager. Like I really got that. Like, you know, if, if my body can be pushed this far, like what else can it do? Yeah. And so I was very sexually active at a young age and like very happily and, um, jealous, really jealous, super, <laughs> super <laughs> jealous. That's all I wanted as a teenager was to be like, let's get laid. That's all I wanted from like 14 on. I was like, please, somebody lay me. Yeah. It's funny. It's funny. Cause I always like, um, sort of like, I think there's an assumption that if you are in, like, if you're, like, at a young age being in a wheelchair and being on crutches, that that actually didn't impact my ability to get laid. I think wow. that boys were, some boys were more attracted to me because, I don't know, because I'm, like, the wounded deer or somebody <laughs> worth, like, somebody they want to say. The wounded deer. Well, I've already discovered the title for this episode. is <laughs> episode 107 the wounded deer like it's too good um there's nothing to that though you know and, and i noticed like i i yeah i got a lot of attention when i was in a wheelchair and on crutches it's funny because as a queer disabled man i don't get it's the other way around in my community i get i'm invisible yeah it's so it's super strange so so like you so it's kind of interesting though that at, at like 16, 15, 16, you were, you had discovered that if you can be in pain, you can also be in pleasure. Like that's a big, that's a big step for a 15 year old and 16 year old to like make. Yeah. Yeah. I had like, um, yeah, I don't know. I think part, part of it was that I lucked out that my, when, when I first started having surgeries, my mom would teach me different meditation techniques to manage my pain. And that sort of planted a seed for me to, to let me know that, like, there are ways for me to take care of myself, ways for me to heal myself. And so when I was 16 and I was just in excruciating pain and I couldn't walk and I was just, like, I couldn't handle anymore, I just decided that, and I was heavily medicated, like, so heavily medicated that I just didn't know who I was. And I decided to, I wasn't in school at the time um, because I had surgery recently. And so I took, like, six months and I went off all the medication and I just meditated and did floor yoga 
for like six months and I never went back on that much medication again. And I, I, I just like really shifted something there and I got that and I was able to walk after and I was like, mo- like in way, way, way less pain. And so I just got that, how powerful I was. And, and that really influences how I work with people now, like, you know, wanting them to get that you are your own healer um, and that people are really tired of getting advice and we don't really need advice anymore. We just need people to trust us to take care of ourselves. And we need to be given the permission to yeah. take care of ourselves. Yeah. 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 And I think as disabled people, that's really powerful because whenever you are sick as a disabled person, you know, everyone else's first instinct and sometimes yours too is to go to the doctor because you are more vulnerable. You are clearly sick because you're disabled. And so therefore you should be going to Mm. a place where they can medicalize you. And I mean, sometimes I'll admit like, this is a totally off-tangent question here, which has nothing to do with my current line of questioning, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, did you f- ever feel when you were a kid in the hospital and you were going through all that stuff, did you, did the hospital feel like a safe place to you initially? Because you were like, I'm disabled and therefore this is a place where I'll be okay? Hmm, that's a really interesting question. Partly, I feel like I was so heavily medicated that it feels like a really fuzzy time of my life. And I think, you know, my brain has done a lot of work to sort of protect me from the drama of it all. But I, yeah, I think maybe I partly did feel that way, to be honest, actually. And I I don't now, I don't feel safe in hospitals now, like after that much trauma. But I think in the beginning, like I felt really cared for. And that, probably yeah that's probably all because of all the drugs because when i go into a hospital <laughs> like when i go into a hospital now <laughs> for a minute or two i feel oh this is cool and then i'm like wait you're being ableist douchebags why like yeah um and the language it's like something's wrong like that's all i remember is something's wrong and like watching the way i walk like whoa something is wrong here and now I get, now as an adult and having done all the work that I've done, I'm like, nothing's wrong. Like, my body just doesn't work the way other people's works. But the way lots yours of people, does, yeah. Yeah, like, there's nothing wrong with me. So, you know, they spent a lot of time fixing me. And, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm over that. I don't, I'm not really into feeling like I need to be fixed. Awesome. That's such an important message because so many of us feel like we need to be fixed. Um, so... You basically were having sex young to find pleasure, to, to like tip the scales away from pain into pleasure, which again, for a 15-year-old, 16-year-old at that time was super a huge deal. So awesome for you. Kudos for that. How does your, dis- what is, what does your disability and sexuality look like for you? Like, how does it, mm. now that I know, now that I understand that you're not a wheelchair user all the time and that you use crutches sometimes, or you did, um... How does it look, quote unquote, normative, or does your disability impact it in other ways? Um, my disability does impact it. Um, I can sort of like fake it to make it sort of thing, but it definitely impacts it. Um, I experience a lot of fatigue, and I don't have the stamina that I had. And you know, I've just I recently had a child, and that has really impacted my sexuality. Um, it's sort of like for the especially in the past probably three years my the cmt has really been impacting my body 
okay. um, more rapidly. And so I just feel like my body is constantly changing and it feels like it's this constant process of grieving the body that I had yesterday. And Oh, wow. The um, grief conversation is so, I am so there with you. Yeah. With, with, like, that's, that's a big thing for me. Like, I'm, I completely am on that line with you because, because, well, you know, I live with disabilities every day that remind me that I'm disabled and that grief is so deep and so real that like sometimes you don't feel sexy about it, but you're like, I'm, I'm really sad about this, but I still want to get naked with you right now. Yeah. 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 And navigating what sex, like navigating sex looking different and it's a really vulnerable conversation to have with a partner to say like, I'm in too much pain or, um, I can't, you know, I don't, feel comfortable having that kind of sex because my body's not really working right now. And for me, it feels really vulnerable because, you know, I had said this to you earlier that I've spent a lot of my life trying to appear normative and trying to not look disabled. And, you know, it drives me nuts because, you know, well-meaning people who care about me, like they'll say things like, you know, when I met you, I didn't even know you were disabled. Like you looked totally normal. And, you know, I kind of want to punch them in the face, right? (laughs) But like, great, I appear normal. And it's just sort of feeds into that thing like, good, okay. Like I don't look disabled. And like I'm total, like, you know, it's the whole inspirational porn. Like look at how I've triumphed over my disease. I passed today, so therefore... Yeah. Like I'm valid this hour. Thanks. Yeah. 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 And as if like, as if that means, I don't know that the goal is to not look disabled. And that makes me really angry. Like as my body continues to break down, that the goal is that I look normal and that's not going to be what it is for me because eventually I will be in a wheelchair and that is where I'm sort of headed and having like, and knowing that that is where my body is moving towards. It is a big grieving process and, and sort of being pissed at people around me and like the ableism, like, you look normal though. I could hardly tell that you limp or different things like that. But in terms of how it affects my sex, there are, you know, there are certain positions I am not able to really do. I'm not able to like really be on my knees. Um, me neither. I me love, on my knees really yeah. hurts. It's fucking painful. No, no. <laughs> it's so painful. No, thank you. Like I'm not, I'm going to feel it for days just so you can have a great blowjob or like. <laughs> and you can I, have a great blowjob in other ways. You get on your <laughs> knees. Here, okay. Here's, as a disabled person for blowjobs, here's the thing. You get on your knees and hoist your fucking dick into my <laughs> mouth and then I'll give you a great blowjob. Otherwise, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was so good. There's lots of positions for great blowjobs. So you get really, really creative. You get really creative <laughs> with great blowjobs. And I don't want to be on my knees. If you want a blowjob, you get on your knees and fucking <laughs> mount my face and I will give you a good blow. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, so I think it's different days. Like, it's a lot of checking in with myself. Like, some days I'm more able and other days I'm not as able um, yeah, I think the biggest way that it impacts me is probably feeling really vulnerable and having to be vulnerable with my partner or partners and saying like, this isn't going to work for me or, um, that type of sex doesn't work for me or can we try this? And just sort of feeling like it's spotlighting my disability and I don't want that to make me seem less sexy or appealing. Yeah. And that's a tough thing. Like whenever you have to have those conversations and I've had those conversations, all the time with partners. Oh yeah, and it's that moment where you you say it, so you're like, oh, I don't think I can be on my knees to give you that great blowjob today, partner. 
and then you say it and you have to pause and there's that silence mm-hmm. there's that like 20 seconds of silence <laughs> where you're like what are they gonna say what does it mean how do i feel oh my god are they gonna be ableist what are they what, what are, like how am i gonna respond if they be ableist am i gonna be okay am i gonna be cool about it I'm like, <laughs> you, you go through 500 scenarios in that 20 seconds to be like yeah. whatever they say i have to get out of here unscathed and i have to act like nothing is wrong yeah yeah and there's there's a whole thing around like disability isn't sexy and that just like and you know what like that pisses me off because I am sexy and like I have an incredible relationship to my sexuality and it drives me nuts that I have this background thing going on that's like you know if I admit to my disability or if I share about what's really going on for me or how I'm feeling then my partner or partners are going to perceive me as less sexy and none of them have ever said that to me None of them. None of them have ever said like, "Oh, that's not sexy." Like, <laughs> so it's not. It's not them individually. It's our. It's a culture, it's a, right? Yeah, it's a cultural disconnect between disability and sexuality. And so, yeah. like, what we both do in both of our work spheres is to try and bring sexuality into that. And so, when you ju- and you were saying earlier that you might need a wheelchair, and if you do, and when when you do, I will be there to help you pick out the sexiest one because. <laughs> I'm in one all the time too, so I I realized the like no, but I I, I and I talked la- I talked last week on the show about um or two weeks ago on the show about um how you know I just got a wheelchair I just was in line for a new chair and uh and um how would I have sex in this chair and talking to the OT so when you get there if you need somebody to like t- to show you the sexy parts of your chair. Let me know. Oh my gosh, I love that so much. I love that. Thank you. I I will be. I can be like, yep. You can do this in here. This is how this will work, and I can do this. <laughs> um, um. So so in in your work, you talk a lot about healing yourself as part of the journey towards finding pleasure. And I was curious. So many disabled people experience trauma around sexuality, whether that be physically, emotionally through ableism, etc., and so many of us deal with all this trauma, myself included, and we aren't really healed from that as we engage in sex as disabled people, so we go into a lot of sexual experiences, like, carrying this trauma and this ableism and all the stuff around disability, and so how do you think that disabled people can heal a lot from what's happened to them on their journey to pleasure? Like, is there a way that we, specifically as the disabled community, can, can heal ourselves? from this? Yeah, I think that's a really complex question, right? I, I think that all people are going, bringing their hurts into sex. And I think when we look at sex, like sex is just an escape and it's just a place that we go to, to get away from all that, then, then healing doesn't occur. Um, but I, I find that sex is actually quite transformative because we can find in my own experience, the way that I've found that pleasure in sex has been deeply healing for me and and transformed a lot of my trauma is that um, I'm in control and I get to be a really expansive, open version of myself. And I get to explore the edges of myself and and figure out like where where I end and where the world begins. And um, I think that a lot of my trauma has has been healed through sex especially through kink, to be honest. Um, oh, we're getting there. Don't worry. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. So uh, 
Yeah, I think that's a complex question because I think uh, um, a lot of healing really comes from from doing somatic work and really using your body and tuning in. Uh, I think a lot of people, especially disabled people, and I don't know if, if uh, other people would relate to this, but I've spent a lot of time like leaving my body when I'm in pain and trying to disengage or from the numbness of my body, like areas where I don't feel and just sort of like trying to like be outside of that and escape that. So I think a lot of somatic healing can happen when we go inside and and, and just be with what what is so and, and listen to what our body is telling us it needs to heal. Um, and that sounds really simple, and it, and it, it's not <laughs> always. Um, but I think the healing happens when we um, tune in and listen to what our body is telling us it needs in terms of healing from trauma and and harm caused. Yeah, that can be so hard when you're a, when you are a disabled person, though, because you were told not to listen to that. Like you were saying, you yeah. you and I talked just a minute ago about how you <laughs> sometimes want to you know, you sometimes want to leave your body and sometimes you want to feel more normative. So I think we're taught not to listen to the ableism because, especially in a sexual context, when you're trying to get down, no matter how ableist somebody's being, even if they're being a super ableist, you're like, oh, okay, well, yeah. it's, it's sex, so I better just do it. So, like, do you think that we <laughs> need, <laughs> as I cough into the mic, do you think we need to listen to more of our, like, how do we get in tune with what sexual ableism feels like and like ableism around trauma feels like other way around trauma around ableism feels like like how is there do you think that we need is it, like is there a course we should create yes <laughs> <laughs> awesome awesome um, sorry were you finished i well i am now so yeah I, Sorry. Yeah, I I would love to see a course on that. And I actually talk about that in my my courses that I run. Um, I think we really accept or we resign to a lot of the things around ableism, because it means like, I don't want to bring that up, because I don't want to be like the disabled person bringing up how you're ableist when we're about to like have hot sex, like I'm just gonna like not think about it. And then we end up having sex that's not truly for us because that person isn't really for us. And so I think some something that's been really empowering for me is to just start saying like, fuck no to people that don't deserve access to my body. No matter how hot they are, no matter how hot the sex could be, like, no, you don't you don't get to have access to my body unless you can really truly appreciate and love it for exactly how it is and how it works. Um, and I think... Um, finding evidence for people who really, really thoroughly enjoy my body and, you know, they're not coming from that place. I mean, most people are, I mean, we're all coming from ableism, right? Like that's... Yeah, we're all ableist. I mean, that's okay. (laughs) And it is, yeah, but having that awareness and, um, yeah, I don't know if I answered the question. I just sort of went off on a tangent there. I enjoy that tangent and it's, it's, it (laughs) it totally works and it it all dovetails together. Um... So, and also with all of that, do you think that disabled pleasure looks and feels differently from non-disabled pleasure? Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I do. Um, I, I think especially for folks whose bodies work quite differently and they have sensation differences and um, I think different people's bodies, like people with disabilities are going to need something very different 
Um, so it like takes a lot of negotiating, like, like genital stimulation may not be the place where the pleasure is going to come from. Um, yeah, it can totally be, sometimes it can be all mental stimulation. Yeah. Like, yeah. It doesn't have, for me with sex, like I love, I love genital stimulation and it's great and I'm all for it and you can play with that all you'd like to do when we're down there. But sometimes I'm like, I want to just have a conversation with you and I want to just be with you in that space and I want it to just be us together with the potential for genital play, but it doesn't, it would not have to be that. And if we're just sitting there talking and being together, sometimes that's more powerful and more pleasurable than, oh yeah, we jerked off for like six hours and it was great. That was all like, that's fun. But sometimes I get more nourished from like, hey, we had a conversation while we like made out and then touched each other very much, like a little bit. That's yeah. more powerful as a disabled person sometimes than like these normative ideas of what we were supposed to do. Yeah. And you know what? I think that that's more powerful for a lot of people who are non-disabled. And I think that that's actually something that the that folks in, that have disabilities get to have access to a lot sooner than other people, if ever, which is to have a more inclusive, expansive definition of sex, which isn't just about genitals and penetration and performance and orgasms and goals. Um, it is more about choosing in that moment what works best for both people and really sinking into that. And that's, you know, that's something that a lot of disabled people, that's what their sex looks like, right? And that's actually really amazing. It's, and it's I, so great. And so many disabled yeah. people, myself included, will have that kind of sex. And like, I had a sexual encounter the other day and we finished and we were, I was walking him out and I said, I, we were in the elevator together and we, we kissed and I said, I said, was it okay for you? Like, was it all right? And he was like, yeah, it was fine. Why? And I was like, no, was it like, okay. And that was totally my ableist brain being like, did I, like, did, did I perform the way an able-bodied person would, which is, I didn't, and I shouldn't have to be held to that standard, but my brain went there right away being like, or did you, was it okay for you when I should have been like, it was great because we shared a moment together, but immediately my brain went to, I failed because I didn't do it like my non-disabled peers. Yeah. Yeah, I think if we, I love asking the question of myself and of partners, like, why, why am I having sex right now? Like, why are you having sex right now? And sort of getting to, like, what is the reasoning behind it? Are you looking to escape? Are you looking to feel owned? Are you looking to feel dominated, humiliated, nourished? I love loved? how right after escape, you went to... <laughs> like, I'm really into the fact that right after escape, you went to own. Right after. So my next, que my next question in the loop was about parenting, but I'm going to hold off on that question and jump right into... A better segue, which is, and the way I've written this down is, I love kink and BDSM, and clearly you do too, and I love yes. it, especially as a disabled person. Um, so tell me how kink and BDSM for you, as somebody with CMT, tell me how that manifests for you, and if you would, what are some of the kinks that you have, and how does your disability impact them? Yeah. So... I love kink and BDSM. I honestly think my whole entire world shifted when I went into the BDSM community um, about seven years ago. And that's actually where I met my partner, who is the father of my child. And um, 
I think that was one of the biggest transformations for me. It was like being a kid walking into a candy store and being like, yes, you can have everything you've ever wanted. And I was like, everything? Like somebody is happily and willingly going to fulfill my fantasy for me? (laughs) It's like, yes, they are. And I just realized like, wow, I could ask for anything I want and get it. And so for me, that was huge. And the whole BDSM and kink community is all about negotiation. Like you negotiate very specifically what your your scene and what your play is going to be. And so I get to ask for exactly what I want and what doesn't work for me gets to be taken off the table. And so it doesn't feel like it's about performance or it's about spontaneity. Like I need like spont- spontaneous sex where it's like we're throwing each other around. It's like all of this juicy energy. Like that doesn't come naturally to my body a lot anymore because I've got a lot going on. But when I get to negotiate the sex that I want and the play that I want very specifically, that feels really powerful for me because then I get to work within the limits of my body and get to work within like the expansiveness of my mind. And so that, yeah, I feel like kink has been such a gift to my life. Um, Wow. I've never heard it. I've never ever heard it described that way before. That's a really (laughs) powerful work. I've never, I've heard kink as being like hot and sexy and yeah, I'm into kink. I've never heard it so like gently described as a gift to your life. That's really cool. Mm. Yeah. I think like in terms of kink, I, I play on a really, um, I'm quite rough. Like I, I, I like to play quite extreme. And so sometimes I come up against my physical limitations for sure. Um, or I'm dealing with like the, <laughs> the, 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 de- the impact, the fallout of it for, for a long, like the drop after a scene, like for some yeah. people, it's a couple days, but for me, it lasts quite a long time for my body to be able to enter like hormonally and, and physically bounce back from that. So if I have a, a heavy rough body scene and there is humiliation and degradation and we're doing rough body play and then there's some rope play and there's all of these intense sensations. And to me like that is, there's so, so, so much freedom for me in that, in being a disabled person and just a person in general, um, being able to have all of these incredible sensations that are pain that I'm choosing or sensations that I'm choosing instead of feeling like it's happening to me. Yeah. And so, so kink has given me a lot of control over being able to choose pain in a way that feels really powerful to me instead of feeling like, you know, it's just happening to me all the time and yeah, every day. Yeah, it's agency over your body again. And it, exactly. It so very rarely happens for us. Like I had one of my partners hit me the other day consensually. We were messing around and I said, hit me really hard. And he goes, no, no, I can't. I said, no, no, please hit me hard. Like on the on the belly or something. I, I picked a soft spot because I, I had never really ventured this way. But I was like, really hit me, please hit me. And so he did. And I was like, that felt great. Do it again. <laughs> and, like, it, it was such a weird switch of like, oh, this isn't disability pain. This is pain that I am agreeing to. Yeah. And it's immediately followed up by pleasure. Like, it was a really interesting switch for me that I'd never experienced before. Um, that I'm really, and like, I'm also really, I'm getting into biting more, which is very strange for me because I'd never been into it. So this partner bit my nipples really hard and it hurt, but I was like, wait a minute, the pleasure is turning, like the pain is turning into pleasure. And then it's, it was a real, as a disabled person to like feel that in that moment is really, it's a, I can't explain it as a disabled person, but there is something about disability and pain and pleasure when they 
are chosen by us, that's really powerful. Yes, absolutely. And to be able to choose exactly when it stops, like this isn't working for me, the pain stops. Uh, that's also really amazing. Yeah. Cause it's, and I, cause it's so rare. Yeah. It's so rare. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's such a, like I've, um, I've been, I've, I've had CMT my whole life. Like my, I've always been in pain. And so I actually don't know what it like. It's like to not be in pain. Like I've not experienced that. Um, so that's just like, yeah, I've always, I've always been in that, that body. But I think for folks who have had an experience of normalcy and then become disabled, I think that that, that is a really intense experience to be able to adjust to that. Cause to me, it's just normal. It's like pain is just background noise. It's like the birds in here in the background and the faucet running and things like that. It's just like this irritating thing, just like in the background. Um, as I get older yeah, I with think. CP though, like I, I also understand, like I definitely feel, feel you in terms of like, constant pain as i'm getting older my joints are changing the pain is always there mm-hmm. there's always some level of discomfort yeah. somewhere yeah yeah and that takes a lot of energy right and so that's another thing with kink is like sometimes i just get to be taken care of like kink can be a lot of things it can be my partner like treating me like i'm like his little you know like i'm i'm just like he's caring for me and giving me head scratches and we're having nice sex and then he's tucking me in with my soft blankets and bringing me snacks. Like, <laughs> like that's, you know, that's also my kink is that, you know, I get really well taken care of and I don't have to, it is, it's sort of like an escape from the, the constant like space that pain takes up in your mind. You can just sort of step away from it for a minute. Yeah, totally. Also future lovers of Andrew. That's what I want right there. Like, I want you to make sandwiches. <laughs> I want you to scratch my ears. That, that's what I want. So, if you're listening and yes. you want to get down with me, that is what I want from you. Please. That is so funny. I say this always, all the time to any of my friends. Is like, stop having sex with people unless you're negotiating your aftercare. Like, if you are not, always, 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 always negotiate for how you want to be cared for after like, what does that look like for you? Does your partner often get up and go and have a shower when you would really, you really need to be like cuddled and held and need them to get you a glass of water or case you don't want to be touched and your partner always wants to cuddle because it's sort of like it pulls you out of like all of this juicy energy you just created and this really vulnerable space that you've just been in. You just have, you know, given, shared your body with somebody yeah. and invited them into this really sacred space. And now you're just like, well, Okay. <laughs> so I think aftercare is so important. And when you start being able to have a conversation about aftercare before sex occurs, it really opens up the space to have more conversations about sex. It means maybe part of your aftercare is that you actually talk about how the sex was and what could have worked better for you and, and what didn't, didn't work and actually having more talk about it and, and not worrying so much about looking sexy and doing more communicating during sex. So you can actually be touched the way that you want to be touched. And that's so hard, I think, as a disabled person, the idea of aftercare, because through all of our lives, mm. through my life especially as a disabled person, when something is done, it's done. And you move on to the next. And we're taught to, like, you know, from being in the hospital so long as a kid, when a painful thing was done, it was done. But it wasn't really done, because then you had to navigate all your feelings around it afterwards, and you typically had no framework to do that. That's how I feel about good and bad sex as a disabled person, it's like, 
even if the sex was shitty, it's over now, and I'm supposed to just pick up and move on. Or if somebody did something ableist to me during sex, how like how would I say in in aftercare like, hey, that was super ableist there? Like that's not because I'm trying to perform for them throughout the whole experience. I don't know if I could like the idea of aftercare sounds totally right. The reality feels a lot more messy and a lot more scary because how how what if you had to tell a partner they were being ableist? How do you navigate that and feel safe afterwards? Oh, that's tough. Yeah, and I really hear you that that is a struggle. Um, and it is like the the answer is something that I could say that would say, okay, that sounds easy. Um, but in reality, it's not because you're you're functioning with all these inherited beliefs about how you're supposed to perform. And, and yeah, and we sort of touched on this earlier that like, I don't want to be the disabled person that's like correcting you and, and letting you know that what you're doing is not okay. And there are a lot of folks who are really happy and open to be hearing that. And I think we should really only be having sex with people that we know for sure can care for us because we care for them. And I, you know, I think you've talked about this in another episode. Like I took care of you too. Like, yeah, like <laughs> you're not the only one doing caretaking because you're yeah. putting shirt on after. Like, like let's not play that game. Like, don't pretend we both didn't just take care of each other. So and we're bringing all of our trauma, all of our hurt, all of our vulnerability into sex. You know? Yeah, we're bringing all of our own. What were you gonna say? I was just gonna say like, don't pretend like when that time, just because you did most of the physical work I wasn't doing just as equally or more of the emotional work to get us to the place where we were comfortable. So yeah, no, I understand totally. But I also feel sometimes like my aftercare with partners is like they'll put my pants on, they'll put me back in the chair, um, we'll say goodbye, we'll give a little peck on the cheek and then we'll also see you, see you another time. But then is when I'll, the minute they leave is when my brain starts to go, oh no, what about this? And what about 10 more things? And I couldn't tell them in the cuddle session because that would have been weird. And how, like, so do you sometimes have that where even if you've done all the legwork and you've had the conversation and you've done quote unquote aftercare that like your brain is still reeling from what happened? Like, how do you do, do you have that? And if so, do you quiet it down ever? Um, I don't think I do have that very much anymore. Um, I think that I did before, probably before going into the kink community. I think I really let a lot of that stuff go once I started exploring my sexuality that way, especially in the context where people are prepared, like we've negotiated. I think, again, that's like, that's part of negotiating ahead of time to say, you know, part part of sex for me is being able to talk after and just sort of, you know, go over like what felt really good to you. And, and those were the things that like, you know, weren't great for me. And we can just sort of explore that because that's what sex is. Like that terrifies me. That terrifies me. Like, I love what you're saying yeah. from, a, from a theoretical standpoint, from a, I'm in a situation yeah. with this really attractive naked man. And now I want to have a DB from what we like a holy like what I love the idea. The reality makes me like oh god no 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 because my thought is like and again this is my own internalized ableism coming out. You just did this thing for me that is you know you help me feel pleasure. So whatever you want now is like which is totally wrong but that's where my brain goes is you you help me feel pleasure and so now 
you can do whatever you want, which is incorrect, but that's what my ableism tells me, is like, whatever you do now is fine, and whatever I do is still wrong. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, I really hear that. That's really tough. And it's so um, tough to like... I know, a lot of... It's so Pardon? it's so tough to get to a place where, where, where that voice is quiet, and the voice is for me anyway never quiet. Yeah, 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 yeah. A lot of the things that we like any any sort of um, person can talk about in terms of how we shift things that aren't working for us, they sound a lot easier than they are in reality. And I think it's, it's honestly, it's just baby steps and finding and creating evidence for something different. Because right now you have evidence to prove that, you know, you can't have that conversation because of ableism and because of everything you've learned about what people think about disabled people and, and what sex is in our culture and all of these sorts of things. But I think when we start um, collecting evidence to show us that, oh, yeah, there are lots of people who actually love to have that conversation and debrief with me. And actually, they really want to be able to do that as well. And, and hey, like, they don't want to be, like, stuck in this performative loop. And, and they also don't want to be, like, ableist. So maybe if I let them know that that was. Or, or even, like, if you need affirmation after and to be reaffirmed that, like, can you just, like, reaffirm to me that, you know, you had a really good time? And can you just tell me a few things that you really enjoyed about our time together? Because um, sometimes, like my brain is on a hamster wheel and I totally ruined the whole experience in my head. So oh. I'm going to try, Do, I'm going to try sense? that with the lover. I'm going to try it and I'm going to hope <laughs> I'm going to, I'll report back to you <laughs> how I felt doing it and how, what their response was. Yeah. Um, it's great. So scary. Like, it's the, bravery. It takes a lot of bravery. It's so scary. I'm, I'm totally going to try, but I'm telling you right now, my, like, as we're talking about it, I'm like, oh, God, too scary. No, 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 can't do it, must run away. But I will try because I think you're right, and I think it's so <laughs> important to, like, say that stuff. But that stuff I'll say on a podcast afterwards, and I won't say, like, during because, oh, my goodness. Um, but I wanted to shift gears a bit. This has been a really awesome conversation, and I love all the things about it. But one of the things you mentioned earlier on in this conversation and in your – the stuff you sent me before we started talking was you're a new mom, new mom, newish mom. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, she's 10 months old. Oh, fantastic. That's great. That's awesome. So uh, I have wanted to, for the longest time, I wanted to be a, a disabled parent. I love the idea of being a mm -hmm. disabled parent and being a disabled dad with like a hot, hot husband and like a fence and a dog and a house like that's a dream that I have that is just in the back of my mind always always um but mm. I have been you know I'm 34 now and I've never been in, been in a long-term quote-unquote conventional relationship I have considered daddyhood with a disability um so I'm interested to hear from you can you share with us kind of like what what motherhood is like for you as a disabled mom? Yes. Um, harder. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, um, I actually did not think that I could have children. I had been told that I wouldn't be able to have children. And 
my lovely partner and I have been having a fuck ton of unprotected sex for, for before we got pregnant for five years and we never had gotten pregnant. And I mean, we had a lot of sex. <laughs> so it was like, yeah, definitely. That, like, that's confirmation that I can't get pregnant. And then we went on our honeymoon to Thailand and we came back and I was pregnant. And so wow. that just felt like a miracle. Yeah, like, wow, okay. And then, you know, I was really nervous, like, how am I going to carry this child? Like, it just felt like it was going to be a really big... I'd also been told, like, you know, you may not be able to carry full term. Like, all of this just sort of... These things that you hear from authority figures, and you just take them as the truth. And people don't know my body. Like, what were they making that assumption on? It just, like, drives me nuts thinking about that. How we really take their word as the truth about who we are. And nobody knows me better than I do, nor is my body. And so... Yeah, I think a lot of motherhood is sort of um, accepting certain things. Like, I, I, you know, I wrote a, a post about this, about, um, like, I will never run with my daughter. And, you know, that makes me really sad to think about that I, you know, I just, I will never get to run with her. And there are just certain things that I'm never going to be able to do. And, you know, just sort of accepting that those are things that I'm not going to be able to offer her, but... I mean, that's why, like, when I picture myself with my imaginary little boy that I've created in my head, I Mm -hmm. picture, like, I can't, I'll never, I'd never be able to pick him up. I'd never be able to, like, care for him the way a parent is, quote unquote, supposed to. So I feel like, and I've always felt like I would be doing an an injustice to that child because I can't. Do you, which which I understand totally is ableism, but do you feel like, did you ever have those that kind of thought process with yourself of like, I can't take care of this child the way that I'm quote supposed to. Oh, Andrew, I feel you so hard on that one. Yes, absolutely. I think a lot of how I felt about, I think I really accepted what I'd been told about not being able to have children and and really became resigned to it because I felt that I shouldn't, I shouldn't pass this disease on. I'm never going to be able to carry them the way that, like, you know, I'm not going to be able to do the things for them that, you know, a normal mother can. I'm not going to be able to run with her. I'm not going to be able to do this with her. It was a lot of what I can't do with her and a lot of internalized guilt about, you know, how dare I bring a child into this world? Like, oh my God, the guilt guilt that I have around that is like, how dare I take, like, my guilt is this. How dare I have a child when I live on social assistance and I barely have enough money to cover myself how dare I like and if if I was to move in with a partner who would take care of the kid or decide to be a single father if I wanted to like uh, how would I feed this child clothe this child how would I do all of that while also being disabled like that my brain that's where my brain went and so for a long time like up until we actually started talking today my brain went, oh no, you don't, you're never gonna do that. And now that we're talking, my brain is like, well, what if, like, what about, what about five other ways? Yeah, I, I actually think you would be a brilliant father, and I think that your, the way that you show up in the world is quite brave and brilliant, and I think that would be such a gift to a child, and that's really truly how I feel, um, and how I also feel about myself as a parent. And there are so many things that I give to my child that a lot of parents can't. And tell me some uh, of those things. Like, what are the because the, because you're disabled? Yeah. Like, what are those things that you? What are the, what are the special like? Yes, disabled gifts that you can impart on your kid. Um, I am. 
I also like that we segued from kink into... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think I have a lot of really great qualities. One is that I have this um, incredible patience. I'm, I'm really, really patient. And I have this really great ability to be with really hard and tough emotions and tough situations. And I'm okay with people being sad and I'm okay with people hurting and I'm really able to just be with people. And for my daughter to have somebody who's able to continually teach her about coming home to herself and being with herself, teaching her that as a child, you, you know, I, I just, in the work that I do, I just, I see so many people that really lacked this, this sort of support that doesn't really exist in our society to, to have us like come back to ourselves and know our power and know our capability. So I just, yeah, I think that there's like all of these brilliant things that I get to offer her because I've done so much emotional labor and because of the work that I do and because of my openness and because of, because of everything that I went through. And I, I'm not a person that believes everything happens for a reason. I don't like personally, I don't think that like for some reason I deserved to have like all of this pain and experience, but I can also see how it's deeply influenced me to be a more powerful being and to be more clear about who I am and how I'm going to show up in the world. And I think that's a gift to a child. And I see that a lot of parents don't come from that place. And, and every, every parent, if you talk to parents, Andrew, they will all say, here are reasons why I shouldn't have had children or, here are the things that I can't offer my kids. Like that's, we all have our doubts. Yeah. yeah. And that's there for everybody. There's, we all have our shortcomings. Like I grew up in an alcoholic home and um, yeah, <laughs> bless her soul, had a lot of shortcomings. And yeah, there were these other brilliant things that she, she was able to give to me. Um, so we're all just like complex people. Like nobody's, nobody has everything that they can offer a child. Yeah, no, but it just because because of all the because of all the the ableism we're up against daily, the idea of having a kid, especially when I when I can barely get a second date, it's like, oh yeah, sure, 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 I'll have a child when I can barely <laughs> like meet a person who gives a shit about me more than two seconds. Like, did you when you were thinking about when you were like when you realized you were pregnant and had we're carrying did you have those fears of like is my partner gonna leave now like how what was any of that a thing that was happening or were, were you guys into it for the, the the go well no we had always said that we weren't gonna have kids so like finding out that we weren't that we were pregnant was like quite shocking i was actually really surprised at how my partner handled it he seemed pretty well adjusted like when i told him <laughs> um and i sort of freaked out because i thought oh I think <clears throat> later in my pregnancy and when I first had my daughter, sort of seeing how pregnancy and early motherhood really um, exacerbated my symptoms of, of CNT, that is where I started to get some of those feelings like, great, now I'm more disabled than I was before and I'm mothering. And I just feel like, oh, now I don't feel sexy. And now I feel like my partner is not going to find that sexy that, like, you know, I struggle more. Yeah. Um, and I just feel, like, weak a lot of the time and all these sorts of things. So I, I think I have that more now than I did when I was when we found out we were pregnant because now I'm dealing with the consequences of it. Um, but that's not the truth. Like, my partner doesn't feel that way. He thinks I'm sexy as hell. Like, he, he adores me. 
But, you know, it doesn't matter, right? Because we still, beliefs live in ourselves and and my those beliefs are my baseline. And so I come back to those until I heal those. And so he can say all the things he wants until I've shifted that belief in my body. And that's, 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 but, hard. That, that's, that's hard to do. Like, that's not easy to shift yeah. those beliefs. Um, I, I'm thinking about your, like, the birthing thing now because I because I now understand a little bit about your disability. I'm assuming it wasn't a natural birth. <laughs> oh my god, this is like so. We had just I had decided that I was going to have a home birth on the ranch where we live, and I was dead set. I'm not birthing in a hospital. I've spent most of my life in a hospital. I don't need my kid in that place. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so I mean, bad idea because. The birth, we were like several hours in, and you, you probably don't know what this means, but I was dilated at seven and eight centimeters. Oh, no, I got it. I'm there. I, yeah. Yeah. I was stuck. Uh, yeah. And I I ended up having to be transferred to the hospital, and then we had an emergency. Which I'm sure you hated. Em- Which I'm sure you were not pleased about. Nope. Uh, a lot of trauma. Yeah. It was really brought up a lot of trauma for me. And um, even though I knew that that was a possibility, I really got stuck in my head that that's not happening. I'm going to have this natural pain-free birth, not pain-free, but like this natural <laughs> birth. That like, and you know what I had in my head? I'm like, I've been in like excruciating pain. Like the things that have happened to my body are just like sickening. It was like, just like how barbaric they were. And I'm like, it's, it's fine. Like birth is natural. Like that. <laughs> so, I think I handled most of the birthing process pretty well, but I got really fatigued. And then um, Lenore, my daughter's heart rate started to drop and she went into distress. And then I went into distress and had a fever. And um, so they went into, they did an emergency cesarean and the placenta had completely deteriorated in my body. Like, yeah, yeah. So if they didn't do a cesarean, she could have died. And so it was like, it was a really traumatic event. Well, so, I was gonna say then, when you said degenerative, my brain went to how are you gonna carry yeah. a baby if the thing if everything in your body is degenerating? Wouldn't yeah. the, the fetus then? But but it's awesome that it didn't, and I'm happy that it didn't. But I but like that fear of what could happen. Like for me as a as a cisgender man, I can speak to the physicality, but I can speak to the fear of like what if my body doesn't hold up for this? Like how do I what do I do? Yeah, and I mean, my body kind of held up, but like I had a, the cesarean, and you can't, you know, do very much movement after. Like you're quite limited for the first six weeks, and my body was really, really extra exhausted because of having a disease. Like it, I my muscles deteriorated like rapidly. Like I lost a lot of strength. Whatever strength I had before I was pregnant was just like gone, and I haven't bounced back. Like I, I'm still struggling with that i'm just starting to put yoga back into my life and it's just like oh everything feels like so much work (laughs) it's like everything is so much more work like stairs i'm like oh god stairs stairs as a wheelchair (laughs) user stairs are the worst the worst oh do you live on a ranch do you live on a ranch that does it is it like when you said ranch i immediately pictured like cowboy western ranch (laughs) like is it that or is it like a is it more like and i know guelph a little bit it's a lot of farmland is it like yeah. a big farmland or like a tiny one? It's big. It's 50 acres and it's like mostly trees and paths. It's quite beautiful. It's really, we're really lucky to live here. Um, but yeah, we walk up two flights of stairs to get to 
our apartment and like stairs if you have cmt or like a lot of mobility issues they are my nemesis like they are my worst nightmare yeah i got cp stairs yeah stairs do not stairs should never exist um no <laughs> so we're gonna have to retrofit that ramp when the when it's time for you to <laughs> to be a wheelchair user we're gonna have to wait come to me we'll figure it out we'll get some hot construction yeah. men who can sleep with me after they do the ramp <laughs> You could just yes. set up a room for me to fuck all the construction workers, and uh, <laughs> it'll be good. It'll be just fine. Um, Perfect. Um, uh, so I want to jump to my last question for you, which is: we talk a lot about the body positivity movement, and when I initially, when I initially looked at your site, it felt like you were. Another, I talked to you, my ideas have shifted a little bit, but when I first saw your stuff, it felt like you were trying to connect to, like, the body positivity movement a little bit. How do you feel like that movement can be more inclusive of disabled people? Oh. <laughs> you know what would be a great start? Is if we actually saw ourselves. Right? Like, I would love yeah. that, that. Like, could we just start there? Could we just start seeing disabled people? Like, that... I, that has been one of the biggest struggles I've had my entire life and why I I have this thing where I feel like I have to perform and be normative and be and, and try my hardest to not be seen as disabled because I don't see disabled people anywhere. And when I do, they're they're like the what's the word for that? Like the The poster child for like you can do whatever you want to do. Yeah. It's a little, but what if, yeah. what if you can't? Yeah. Yeah. You either need to be inspirational or you're like the joke. Like you're, you're just like, Ooh, the disabled person that like nobody is into or, or whatever. Like there's just these two narratives around disability. Like you're either super inspirational or you're and like, I, yeah. <laughs> or, or you're not. And you're just like, yeah. So I think just having visibility of everyday disability and actually seeing that and that like there are people who are disabled who are just having regular lives and that they don't owe being inspirational to anybody. They don't owe having to have overcome anything and like triumphed and like they don't owe being strong and they don't owe they being don't like owe anybody, any, They don't owe non-disabled people anything. And I think what I would say to non-disabled people, and I've said it before, and I'll say it again: you can be inspired by what I do to uplift the voices of other disabled people. That's great. Be inspired by that all day long. But if you're inspired because I took a breath today, then fuck you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. If you're inspired that I took a breath today, fuck off. Yeah. I like, mean, unless I... unless like my disability means that I could never take a breath, and then I did. Sure, then be inspired by that. But if like. <laughs> If I'm breathing normally every day and it's all of a sudden exciting for you, then boo. Um, but I think with the body positivity movement, the thing I think is like, take positivity out of it and take the word mm. positivity out of it and call it body realism. Because yeah. some days I hate my fucking body, but I yeah. still love myself and that's okay. Some days as a disabled queer man who wants to fuck all the time, because I really do. Um, yeah. and sometimes I can't and I hate that and I get really mad about that and I get upset that my body won't allow me to do that. So it needs to be less about positivity and looking past the bad stuff and sitting with the good stuff, sitting with, sitting with the bad stuff and being like, Oh, how does it make me feel? Oh, it feels kind of gross. All right. Let's talk about that. Let's, let's 
do an episode about that. Let's write it that down in a journal. Let's tell my friend about that because that's where the real stuff is and how it really truly feels. And as disabled people, we've, we've been gifted the opportunity to feel like shit a lot because that's sometimes what disability does. But we're so often told to not sit with that, to move past it, to move away so that we don't hurt. But I think if you hurt, you sometimes have better, you have better experiences when you, when you're, I like to think of myself as, as I've said, I've said this to lovers, I've said this to myself, I'm damaged goods. And I mean that in the best way, because I've been through so much, my body's been through so much, but I'm, I'm damaged goods, because when you get underneath all this, all that stuff, there's somebody who has, can really show you the value, because I have a, like, I love my scars, and I'm wondering if you, as a disabled person who has had a multitude of surgeries, how do you feel about your body scars? Oh, first, I just want to say I love everything you just said. Really, like, I I love shifting it from body positivity to body realness, because feeling this pressure that if my body is not normative, then I need to work and strive towards loving it every single day. That is a lot of pressure to put on people who live inside of bodies that are causing them a lot of pain and, like, suffering and struggle, and our lives are harder And so our lives are already harder. So now we have this pressure put on us that like we need to strive and use all of our limited energy to just like be better and happier and inspirational. And I love just like sitting with the realness of of what it is. And I am I am all about that. And that makes people uncomfortable when they have not struggled in that way. And I think the gifts that I've gotten because I'm disabled, sort of what you were saying is, you know, there is this underlying gift because I have had to really confront and be with whatever ugliness is inside me. I've had to just be with it because I haven't had the privilege of just ignoring and pretending it's not there because it is. And I think that that really pushes us towards, I think that I have always had more of an acceptance and a love for my body because I really got that, like, I'm grateful that it's functioning at the level that it's functioning at that my, my body wasn't about something that needed to look good, but something that I wanted to feel good. And so instead of feeling like, you know, I wasn't happy with a lot of my body, I just felt like, wow, like I, I'm glad that I'm like walking today or, you, you know, I just felt like I was, I've always been quite grateful for what my body is able to do, but that's not always true. Like some days I just like hate it. I hate it when I have to get up out of bed and like I have to go get my daughter and I look over and my, like, perfectly able-bodied partner is just, like, laying there in I'm bed. Dying to see, I'm dying to see a picture of this partner because you've, you've said in this hour that you have great sex with him. And so my, my, so my gay brain is like, who is this person? Who is this person? <laughs> I'll send you some juicy photos. I'm so ready for those. Uh, but to, just to speak, like you were saying earlier with your daughter, like how you're not going to get to run with her, I would say this. You will, when you get your wheelchair, be able to speed with her running next to you. Uh-huh. And like when you said that, <laughs> the visual, because you live in a ranch, so the visual I had was you and your daughter in a wheel. And for some reason in my head, your wheelchair is yellow. I don't know why. Uh, so I'm picturing you in the chair racing with her at full speed because there's. There's rabbit and there's turtle and rabbit's fast. So you, <laughs> you would be you would be rabbit and then you would just go with her. Like that's the visual in my head. And when I think oh, of running with, with my kid, like that's what I picture. So 
it will happen for you, but it won't look it won't look like it's supposed to. And I think I think when you get to those places, I'm saying when, not in a negative way or like foreboding way. I'm saying when because the wheelchair will give you, I think, and this is a totally weird tangent that I'm ending on, but I think the wheelchair will give you a sense of freedom now that you're older because you, you while you may not have picked it, you will have, it will take away some maybe some of the pain of walking or some of the pain of like trying to mobilize in ways your body doesn't want to. When you get in that chair and you realize you can take a breath and relax, like that'll be, you'll see, that'll be like, I can... I can still do this, but I can actually relax while doing it. So that, that might feel good for you. Oh, I love that. And, you know, that reminds me of when I was a kid and it sort of had me recalling that, that I actually felt really strong when I was in a wheelchair because my arms were powerful, my core was powerful, and I pushed myself everywhere. And, like, I didn't feel like I had given something up because I was in a wheelchair. Something along the way sort of start, started having me think that way. Oh, I was thinking you would have a power chair. <laughs> so, oh. <laughs> if you do have a power chair, though, and I'm just guess I'm I am totally estimating that because of the way your disability is, that might be the way it's going to go, and I, I could be wrong. But if it does go that way, you'll also find that you can take a breath that way because you 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 will have the power to make your chair go fast, and then then for your kid as your kid gets older, that'll be. That'll be, she'll love that. She'll be like, wow, mom's a superhero because she can. Uh, again, I don't know. I'm not a parent, but I'm guessing <laughs> that's where that'll go. Um, that's sweet. I, that was, that's, I mean, that was their conversation. It was such a, I loved it because it wasn't, we didn't dive into like the nitty gritty of sex and disability. We talked more about trying to find yourself in that. And I think having a spiritual and kind of like self discussion about yourself and sex is, it, I don't do that a lot on this show so it was really nice to like do that with you and thank you so much oh, thank you so much for having me on I've loved chatting with you it was so fun um, Kat, and I'm going to send you hot photos of my husband I am so excited <laughs> I can't even wait um, I am like waiting I'm just going <laughs> to so excited um, <laughs> but how do people get a hold of you how can they get a hold of you to book a session to find out more about your work um, uh. So I do, um, uh, like I said, I do workshops and um, Skype. I do coaching, so I do Skype sessions as well if you're not local to Guelph. And you can get a hold of me by going to catnance.com and you can find me on Instagram and on Facebook by searching catnance. Um, so pretty simple. Awesome. Yeah. I'll make sure that all those things are in the show notes. Um, and you and I should talk about having you on the other show that I do because that would be so fun. We'll talk about that off the air. But, uh, Kat, this was, I loved talking to you, and, and you should also definitely get a podcast. There needs to be more of this stuff in the world. Um, oh. So thank you for all you do. Thank you. It's such a pleasure. Thanks. All right, so that's another episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability. I'm, of course, your host, Andrew Gerza. Thank you so much for listening and being a part of this. If you want to follow my work, you can head on over to www.andrewgerza.com or follow me on Twitter at Andrew Gerza. You can also follow the Disability After Dark podcast on Twitter by following DisAftDarkPod. You can also follow our Facebook page, facebook.com slash disabilityafterdark.
It would also be super awesome if you could leave a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts so more people can hear about the show. And if you are able and want to support the show, you can do so by heading over to patreon.com slash cripple content. This way we can do, do things like get better equipment, you help me make a living doing this thing, you help support content made but made by and for people with disabilities, so I can't thank you enough. And you can pledge whatever you can and as little as $1 a month to make it as financially accessible as possible. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you again next time right here on Disability After Dark. Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Andrew Gerza and Crippled Content Creations with music by Chris Udiucci. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright, Crippled Content Creations, 2018.